All right, so who would like to start us off, inshallah? Questions, comments, reflections, praise for the khatiba, mashallah. <laughs> yes. Well, salam alaikum, sisters. I'm visiting from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and um, I'm visiting my husband's family in Riverside, California, and uh, we're actually just on our way to attend a family you know, wedding um, kind of event up in the San Fernando Valley. So since I was on Facebook, I saw that the timing of today's Women's Mosque of America prayer perfectly coincided, and so we worked it in. My husband went to pray at the you know, Islamic Center of uh, Southern California. He was wondering if he could attend, but I told him sternly that this is all female space. So even though you're most supportive, you just have to go to wherever. <laughs> so he dropped me off and he'll pick me up afterwards. So anyway, I really appreciate the vision and work that the organizers have put into this event. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful experience and I uh, hope to be able to attend anytime I'm in Southern California. And um, I know I, in uh, various cities where I've lived, people have raised this issue of, you know, can we have a, you know, all female, you know, Friday prayer service. And uh, I think that a mistake was made in someone suggesting, not me, of course, um, maybe we should get some, you know, imam or something to, you know, approve of this, which they never did, so it never took off. So, I don't know. I think I'll bring it up again in my community. There's quite a few active women's organizations. And um, anyway, it's nice to meet you all. It was a lo lovely experience. May Allah keep everyone strong in this particular activity and everything else in Allah's service, so that's it. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Yeah, we, one thing we need to do as women is give ourselves permission, um, because if we keep waiting for others to give us permission, it's never going to come, and it's never going to come when we need it, so that's something, you know, um, it, it's, counterintuitive because you want to create a space that empowers women, but first you have to empower yourself. Um, and then inshallah, you can do it for sure. Yeah, so I encourage you to go for it. Go for it. Pray istikhara. Pray istikhara. Um, and then go for it. Did anyone, so when you were talking about, you know, your process, um, I, I think for me, when I, when I get into that overwhelmed state, it always has to do with time. Um, so, and again, it's rooted in Islam, but it's taking me out of alignment, right? So it's this belief that my time on earth is limited. This is the dunya. It's temporary. I better make the most of every single moment. Um, and then I often feel like, oh no, I'm behind. And then I stress about that. And then um, something that I've been practicing recently is just recognizing, like you were saying, when you, you see your schedule go out of alignment, that's your kind of um, uh, canary in the coal mine, coal mine, right? Okay. Sometimes these things come to me and I'm like, did I just make that up? <laughs> um, for me, it's that my like shoulders just tense up. And so now, sometimes even in prayer, I'll feel my shoulders tense up. And it's like, wait, I'm praying. Um, so now every time I uh, feel that, any tenseness, I'm just saying to myself, um, 
I'm submitting to you, Allah, in this moment. Because um, I think also when we get so overwhelmed, we're thinking about the big, grand scheme of things. Just to break it down into this moment, yes, I can submit to you in this moment and just relax. Um, that's something that's been working for me. Does anyone else have any other methods they've been using? Assalamualaikum. Thank you so much. So I have a question. And you mentioned in the khutbah, which is really helpful. Thank you so much for raising these issues. Um, when you're trying, when you get to that point and you need to get away, you might be with people or you might, and you just have to leave. So how do you navigate that area of dealing with other people and the pressures of other people when you know you need to have that time and space for yourself? How do you make the space for yourself when you have the demands of other people? Do you understand? Do you, I do, yeah. and I think um, I realize that I'm in a specific type of situation too, right? Like I don't, um, I have the demands of my family, but I don't have kids, right? So I have, I, I, I recognize that too. Um, and I also think I have a really supportive group of people around me usually who they themselves would respect that boundary, you know? But I realized that before I never used to draw boundaries for myself and I never, um, I never asked for the time. Like I never asked for the space. I never said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm actually really not feeling well right now or I need to just take some time for myself. I never used to remove myself from a situation because for some reason I thought that I owed it I don't know why, but there was something in me that I always thought I have to do this, I have to make sure I'm present here for them, for them or for this or for whatever, right? Um, I don't know where that came from, but um, once I started to just um, draw clearer boundaries for myself and learn where I need to be in, in certain moments, um, especially for my mental health, I would just uh, be very clear about it and draw a line in the sand and then folks would just start respecting it, right? Um, even, you know, my family does that. Like, they're very well aware of my, um, my stressors and my, my triggers. So, um, and my partner is too. So it's kind of like uh, the more and more I started to recognize them and be aware of them, everyone else could feel comfortable about it too, rather than, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> like, why are you reacting like that, you know? Um, so the more clear I was, it was clear, like, it was actually more comfortable for me and everyone around me. And it changes over time. Uh, and honestly, some days I have more capacity than others. Uh, and I actually just let people know that. Like, hey, actually, I'm feeling really okay today. <laughs> we can totally do this. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. That's such a great point about, um, you know, the first step is drawing your own boundaries and knowing your own limits. Because um, also, and, and the fact that you said it makes other people more comfortable too, because otherwise what you're doing is you're putting the pressure, you're victimizing yourself and you're putting the pressure on everybody else to know your boundaries. And that's not fair to them as well. So that's a great point that it's like sometimes we think, oh, we're going to disappoint people or annoy them or whatever. Actually, if they know what your limits are, then they don't have this pressure of having to, you know, read you and figure out when you're okay and when you're not. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off of them as well to interact with you. I, yeah. And I used to do that before. Mm -hmm. The expectation that people mm -hmm. should understand. Mm -hmm. it, it was unreasonable and then I realized. Yeah, it's a great point. Anyone else? Thank you so much, Kifa, for beautiful khutbah. Thanks for your voice. 
Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Um, I your story really resonated with me, and um, especially the aspect of being a traveler and that difficulty of coming back from some kind of intense journey, whether that's physical or internal or what, whether that's um, you know, a period of, of study or a period of service or whatever it might be, that coming back from that you experience this kind of um, emptiness. You said you, you felt like you had nothing to mm. give. And I, I just think it's so interesting that maybe from the dunya point of view, that's a bad thing to have nothing to give, but actually uh, in this sense of oneness that you're talking about, that's the most beautiful thing. And that's real deep submission. And um, wow. I, I was so inspired to, to picture you in that moment. And I could also from my own experiences, remember those moments where I really felt like I had nothing. And you know, it's easy to be thankful and to uh, you know, thank God for everything when you're, mm. uh, when you're feeling great, like you have a lot, and oh, I'm thankful for this and this and this and this, but when you feel like you have nothing to feel really thankful then, that's, um, I don't know, I feel you, you're really hitting on something profound, and I'm, I'm so grateful you brought that up. I never, I didn't think about it that way, so thank you for that perspective. <laughs> I thought that I'm just reiterating what you said. <laughs> For sharing that. <laughs> Anyone else? Priscilla, you look like you have something to say. Yeah. Um, I don't really have very much to share today, but um, I enjoyed your coupon. and thank you so much. Um, but it, something I heard that's um, I need to comment on, I think. And um, that is, I think I heard something about you didn't feel worthy or you didn't feel like you had something that you didn't have anything or you, did I hear I something like, like that? Okay, okay, like okay, okay. Okay, so, um, you know, everybody's different. And so that was just so foreign mm -hmm. to my ears. Um, and we're going to have to do better because that's, that's scary. Those were scary expressions, okay? And so I've been in scary paces before. You know, I've, I've, I've been in a mental health state, you know, so I know how it can go. Um, but even in that mental health state, uh, when I thought about harming myself, and this was a, uh, and I've shared this before, but this was the death of my daughter, and I thought, I was so sad, <laughs> and I thought about harming myself. Um, you know, so at that point, you think you don't have anything, right? If you're thinking about harming yourself, but uh, why I'm still here today is because I kept saying, "Well, hell, I might miss the cure for cancer, or I might miss the cure for AIDS." Literally, these are the things that popped in my head. I was like, "Oh, I can't do it because I might miss those things," and it's such wonderful things. So, I mean, really, kind of listen to ourselves, and there is always something to be hopeful and positive about. Always. I mean, if your baby toe don't hurt today, that's a good thing. Yeah. Thank you for helping me understand that actually. Um, 
I, I, I do agree with you. I think in, in that moment I just didn't see it, and then eventually I, I did, yeah. That's the good part of it. The eventually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I think also, you know, going through that helps you appreciate what comes afterwards as well. Like, you can't know, you know, heat without cold. You can't know light without dark. So sometimes that realization and the gratitude that comes afterwards, um, what comes before it is necessary to give you that contrast. Um, so also, if, if you do feel that way, it's not, um, you know, uh, not that you shouldn't resist it, but it's not, um, you know, a failure in that sense either. Um, it's just part of the process sometimes. Yeah. Okay, I love your topic. It's actually one of my favorite things to think about as well. And you gave me a new perspective on it. I mean to think about moving from multitude to oneness in the context of, uh, like, I, I tend to think about it very philosophically, but you made it very concrete in, in the examples that you gave in terms of, you know, like our inner processes to making a decision for a single act or, you know, the, the multitude of things that we get involved in uh, you know, so that was really cool. And I wanted to share with you all uh, one thing that I found really helpful when I learned it. It actually uh, comes from um, Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Buddhist monk. And he wrote, um, like in the Buddhist uh, scriptures, there's a, a heart sutra. Like it's... Uh, that's what it's called, and he wrote a commentary on it. And so one of the essential points that they discuss in the Heart Sutra is this idea of, of understanding multitude and oneness and how they relate to each other, actually. And um, so for the, from the Buddhist perspective, the way you connect the two ideas is by seeing that everything is interconnected and interdependent. So everything that exists is a part of a single whole and everything within that whole is interconnected and interdependent. So if you can find the awareness of how any given part is connected to the whole, you simultaneously are aware of the part and the whole, and it sort of releases that sense of dichotomy of there's multitude and there's one. It's actually, oh, there's oneness in the multitude and there's multitude in the oneness. It's like, oh, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it's, but it's like really, really cool because like, you know, and then it reminded me of this uh, Sufi analogy that I had read a long time ago uh, uh, of like, how do you think about God? Like, how do you conceive of God? Um, and, and so in this analogy it was like, okay, imagine there is a wall and it's made up of many stones and bricks. So the wall is a hole. It's like a single hole, right? But it's made up of all these parts. 
And so it's like multitude and oneness all in one. And so it's, it, you know, again, it's like if you just find the awareness of how any part is connected to the whole, then it sort of helps your mind to not be in that confusion of dichotomy. Mind blown. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the discernment too, right? That, that May talked to me about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Actually, it's a really fun way to challenge our minds to find how anything is connected to everything else and the wholeness. It's just a, such a fun man, mental challenge. And actually, the, the, um, the Buddhists say that's the essence of spirituality is to find the oneness or the, the connection to the whole in, in anything and everything. That's the essence of spirituality because the essence of the spiritual experience is that experience of oneness that is uh, with something greater than yourself and beyond yourself. Sami is one of our, uh, actually both of them have given multiple khutbas, <laughs> um, one of our regular khatibas. Um, anyone else? Where? Oh, Priscilla? Oh, no. Wow. Usually people are quiet in the beginning and then they ramp up, but today I think you put us all in a very peaceful state. I hope so. So we're just like calm, zen, we're not really thinking, at least I'm not. Like, <laughs> it's like I want to stop, sit quietly. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> like actually, I don't want to. Oh, were you going to sing for us? You said you're a singer? No, yes. no, no, no. That was a yeah? joke. Yeah? Oh, that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so if there are no more uh, questions or comments, um, we'll end with du'as. Um, and make, let's make du'a for your laptop, too. Oh, inshallah. Okay. Yeah. She, um, she was writing the laptop, or she was writing the khutbah on the plane and then thinks that maybe left it there. I don't know where I put my laptop. Yeah. Like, if my khutbah, if, if there's any example of my khutbah, <laughs> it's just things like that. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it's okay. That's it happens. Um.